We are starting a new series today, The Minor Leagues, it's called. And I am not complaining about this because I'm a baseball fan. Any other baseball fans out there? Just two or three, yeah. Um, So Pastor Tom will be preaching some of the messages in this series a little later on in the summer. He's uh, taking some vacation right now. And he's specifically trying to really enjoy his 60th birthday later this week. So, yeah. Happy birthday to Tom, wherever you are, Tom. Are you, maybe you're looking at me through there right now. I'm not sure. But uh, we do hope he finds um, some rest on his holidays and recharging and celebrating his birthday. Um, so that means I'm going to be kicking off the series this morning. Um, I have my prop with me here this morning. Any other teammates out there? few of you out there? So our very own MRAC River Rats finished off our season yesterday. Um, We went all the way to the finals and finished in second place. Lost. We lost the last game. That still hurts. It still hurts. I don't want to, don't want to think too much about it. There will be time to celebrate though. Um, And just It's nothing to do with our sermon today, but uh, we do enjoy playing softball as a team and representing our church. And next spring, when we start up again, if anyone wants to come watch some games, come let me know. I will share some details with you next spring. Um, I'm also a Blue Jays fan. Any Blue Jays fans out there? Yeah? Um, We... So the Blue Jays play on... Um, in the leagues that are called the major leagues, commonly known as the major leagues. So that's where this minor leagues thing has come from, because there's the major leagues and the minor leagues. I did a little bit of stat looking up, and in 2019, before the pandemic hit, major league baseball drew in an overall attendance of 68.5 million people. In comparison, though, minor league baseball attendance was 41.5 million people. So, It turns out a large number of people are just as interested or quite interested in the minor leagues as well. They just don't get the same airtime that you'd normally see. And it's the same thing with the prophets, the books that we call the prophets in the Bible. We've got the major prophets commonly known as. That would be the books like Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, and Daniel. These are the ones that generally get the most airtime. Hear about them at Christmas. We... Um, Everybody knows some verses from Jeremiah and those sorts of things. But then the minor prophets are these ones just after that in your Bible. I'm going to list them off here. Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi. Who's read one of those books recently? Yeah, a few of you. They're a little lesser known. People, you get to that part in your Bible and you want to kind of skip ahead at times, maybe... Uh, But they are in Scripture, and they have something to say. And the only reason they're referred to as the minor prophets is nothing to do with importance. It's only to do with length. So if you want to hit Scripture really well and read a book of the Bible, use a short one. You can say you read a book of the Bible in a day. So today we start our series in Hosea, which is the first of the minor prophets prophets listed in your Bible. It's also helpful to know that when you get to the prophets, it's not like everything took place and then the prophets took place. So it's not in sequential order. 
It, the Bible is actually grouped in chunks of literary forms. So you have five books of the Bible at the beginning. Then you have a bunch of books of the history of Israel. Then you have the writings, the Psalms, the Proverbs, those types of things. And then you have a lump of the prophets. But those prophets actually overlap with previous books in the Bible. So I've got some, some pictures here to show you. Memorize this. <laughs> the test will be at the end of the summer. No, um, I've just a little things to explain here. So Hosea, I circled at the top there. There's a little tiny sliver of green. That represents where Hosea is in history. 800 to 700 B.C., somewhere in there, 750 B.C., overlapping with the book of 2 Kings, and at the time in Israel's history where they went from being a nation of just Israel to a split nation being the north called Israel still and the south called Judah. And unfortunately, the nation of Israel in the north chose a bad path, and they were choosing not to worship God. They were choosing to worship idols and false gods, and Hosea is speaking to them. If we layer over now, oh, we get to see who was king at time. In, in Hosea 1 verse 1, it says it. It says, Hosea, son of Beeri, during the reigns of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, Hezekiah, kings of Judah, and during the reign of Jeroboam, son of Jehoash, king of Israel, commonly known as Jeroboam II. And um, mostly the context is he's going to be speaking to that king the kingdom of Israel with that Jeroboam II, who was someone who was leading them away from God, largely. This is what it looks like if you take the kings that we just talked about, and then Hosea's time speaking to them. You'll see the, the, the northern and the southern kingdoms there, the kings layering over top. So that's helpful to know. If you're reading a book in the prophets and you don't know what it's talking about, it's because it layers back in Okay, what is a prophet in the Bible? This is how we would generally define a prophet. Just simply this, a spokesperson on behalf of God, speaking to God's people. There are many prophets in the Bible, way back starting with Abraham, and through Moses, Elijah, not just the names of the prophetic books that we mentioned earlier. In the Old Testament, we can see a pattern starting with Moses, a way God speaks to his people by choosing specific individuals, giving them a specific message to share to specific people at that time. This is the key to starting off a ministry of a prophet. The first phrase here, when the Lord began to speak through Hosea. When the Lord began to speak through Hosea. We are warned in Scripture to beware of false prophets who speak their own message from their own head of what they think, and not from God. But Hosea's message, and the ones that were approved for being in our Bible today, got their message from God. Prophetic writings often are a little bit more outrageous. They often have wild metaphors, huge examples, images, things going on, and there's often a lot of really terrible stuff in those books. Because the prophets are coming out and speaking against certain things, telling the people to stop doing certain things. So you'll read a lot. If you read all of Hosea, which we won't be able to read it all today, you'll see a lot of gross stuff taking place 
in there. We're going to kind of try to keep it a little bit PG today. So Hosea definitely uses a metaphor, and it's evident right off the bat, because in verse 2, here it goes. The Lord said to him, go marry a promiscuous woman and have children with her. For like an adulterous wife, this land is guilty of unfaithfulness to the Lord. So he married Gomer, daughter of Diblam. What? (laughs) So God tells this guy to marry a woman to illustrate the people's unfaithfulness to him. That's kind of a raw deal. But it's not unlike a lot of prophets in the Bible. When they start their prophetic ministry for God, most of them have a life-altering encounter, a life-altering situation that comes into their life. This one is just very specific and quite odd. And the term there, like we said, keeping it a little bit PG, NIV uses the term promiscuous. Some other translations use much harsher words there. So this is a woman who came from a bad place, a bad background. So they proceed to have three sons. That's all described in the rest of chapter 1, but let me tell you what God told them to name their sons, because it's weird too. The first one, name your son Jezreel, because Israel did a horrible thing at Jezreel. They did a massacre at Jezreel, so that's why you should name your first son Jezreel. Name your second son that name that means not loved, because I don't want to give Israel any more unneeded or undeserved love. And name your third son that other name there that means not my people. That will be the name of your child, because you have chosen to not walk as my people, therefore, fine, have it your way. You're not my people and I am not your God. Yes, it's a bleak state of affairs, but you'll find this with prophetic writings, is it always comes back around to options for the positive to play out. And that's what happens here. So at the end of chapter 1, we finally get to some positive outcomes if people will choose to change their ways. It says this, Yet the Israelites will be like a sand on the seashore, which cannot be measured or counted. In the place where it was said to them, you are not my people, they will be called children of the living God. The people of Judah and the people of Israel will come together. They will appoint one leader. They will come up out of the land, for great will be the day of Jezreel. So that's the positive possible outcome, if they heed the words of the prophet. Chapter 2 basically expands what chapter 1 started. The idea is fairly straightforward. Continue being unfaithful, there will be bad consequences. Or, repent and God will relent. Return to being faithful to the Lord and he will show mercy. He wants to show mercy. To illustrate these two possible outcomes God offers based on the actions of the people, Let's contrast two verses from chapter 2. In the same chapter, he says these two things. He says, I will punish her for the days she burned incense to the Baals. He also says, I will remove the names of the Baals from her lips. No longer will their names be invoked. And there's some wonderful promises amongst a whole bunch of garbage that 
that we don't want to happen to these people. There's some wonderful promises if they choose to follow. I will plant for her myself in the land. I will show my love to the one I called not my loved one. I will say to those called not my people, you are my people, and they will say, you are my God. God wants to turn it around for these people. He wants to fix things. He wants to be able to act in mercy if they will just listen. Again, if the people are unwilling to change, God offers. If the people are willing to change, he's basically offering a total reversal of what he said would happen earlier. So they would like to go from you are not all these things to you are. You are my people. You are. And one more awesome promise. In that day, declares the Lord, you will call me my husband. You will no longer call me my master. Some people get a little bit confused or a little bit uncomfortable when we start talking about God and husband and bride languages, but this is one of the images used to describe God and his people that follow him in a spiritual way, in a close relationship. This is a big deal throughout the themes of the Bible, and it plays out all the way to the end. The God of the universe invites us into such a close, faithful, and trusting relationship, not simply master-servant, God and small little being, but as close as a husband-wife level spiritual closeness. In the New Testament, the whole church, not just our church, but all true believers throughout all time are referred to together as the church is the bride of Christ. That's right. And um, it, later on in the Bible, it says Jesus is waiting for his bride to come and greet his bride, and we are preparing ourselves to be ready for him, just as you would picture that bride walking down the aisle to the husband-to-be standing on that stage, on that altar. The question is, do you want closeness with God? He wants to be near to you. Do you want to be near to him? Do you want him to be near to you? Or do you just kind of want to add him to your life? Just have him kind of there, not really messing anything up, Do you want to invite his spirit into those places in your life that only you know about? Into those deep, dark, secret places? Your thoughts, your temptations, your identity, your sense of yourself? See, because we have been created with a free will, he won't force himself in. If he's unwanted, he will let us choose that. We have to allow him in. We have to give up that control. We have to give it to him. That can be scary. Maybe you have a sense that, yeah, I, I know things aren't perfect. There's stuff I could definitely fix or work on or give over to God. But there's enough stuff I like. I wouldn't really want him to like mess up my life, and I might end up with worse off than I came with if I gave control over. We like to have control of our lives. I might lose something. But God wants to transform you into so much more, so much better. Our good enough is nowhere near 
God's best for us. It's just really hard for us to see that. So when we get to chapter 3, we see that Hosea's new wife has indeed been unfaithful to him, unfortunately for him. But God initiates for Hosea to love her yet again, even though she has gone and shown love to another. And remember, he's supposed to have this relationship as a metaphor for God's pursuit of his people. So I say, this actually is good news. Why is this good news? Because not if we put ourselves as being the unfaithful spouse and God as being like Hosea, not one of us is perfectly faithful to God on our own. Despite that, one of the things we recently learned in our time in Romans as a church, Romans 5.8, says this, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Let me read that again. God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners. Didn't advance this. There you go. This part right here. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That is the good news. That is what we call the gospel. If you don't know what that term, the gospel, means, you hear it thrown around, you don't, you're not sure what that means, it's, it's fairly simple in a nutshell. God created us. We rebelled against God. Every time we sin, we rebel against God. Anytime we do anything he told us not to do, and we've all done something. But God sent his son, Jesus Christ, and if we believe upon him, and what he did to take the punishment for our sin on the cross, we can be forgiven and have eternal life. We were sinners, and God initiated forgiveness for us to simply ask for. That's our gospel. That's our hope. That's our life. So Hosea is broken up into two basic parts. We just covered the first part, this relationship between Hosea and his new wife and how that is going to impact the second part, Hosea's message to the people. Chapter 4 starts like this. Hear the word of the Lord, you Israelites, because the Lord has a charge to bring against you who live in the land. There is no faithfulness, no love, no acknowledgement of God in the land. The rest of chapter 4 it's pretty ugly. Lots and lots of charges against Israel. Lots and lots of terrible things. Bad, bad, bad. It goes on to explain the consequences of this if this continues. There's still a way out, but if this continues, there are, there are many consequences listed all through chapter 5 as well. Bad, bad, bad. But then it says this. At the end of chapter 5, in, this is interesting, actually. In their misery, they will earnestly seek me. Think about that for a second. In their misery, 
they will earnestly seek me. Actually, at our, at our life group last week, we were talking about we were talking about how trials in our life, maybe I can skip to that slide, it's coming up for me now. Trials in our life can be the times of biggest growth in our faith. We talked about this as, our, as a group, and widely our group found this to be true when we look back on our lives, that through the trials was when we developed our character and when God was growing us in our faith. Although it's tough to know which trials are caused by us and the consequences of the things we did or caused by God disciplining us. We talked about that as well. We didn't really necessarily, we're still figuring out these things. Or simply, are we getting caught in the crossfire of a broken and fallen world with sin all around us and consequences all around us? We, these are judgments that we aren't able to make sometimes about other people for sure and sometimes even about our own self. We listen to the Holy Spirit and try to to have him lead us in that. So out of that place, in their misery, they will earnestly seek me. This is their chance to turn. This is where Hosea makes his plea. Come, let us return to the Lord. Chapter 6 starts his plea. In the midst of the consequences of how badly they've been walking out of step with God, there's still this invitation to allow God to use the misery to draw close to him, to return to him if we've strayed. And if we do, verse 3 of chapter 6 says, as surely as the sun rises, he will appear. He will come to us like the winter rains, like the spring rains that water the earth. Yes, things in this world have been broken by sin. Yet God is working God is renewing. God is renewing all things. We see these hopes appear in our New Testament. In Colossians, it says this. The Son, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. That's us. He is the beginning and the firstborn among the dead. That's those who have already passed, who were part of the church and waiting for us. So that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. Are you keeping up with me, Sarah? And through him... To reconcile him to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. So, do you want to be part of Jesus' work of being reconciled to God? First of all, have you believed in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the forgiveness of your sins paid for by his shed blood? If not, I would so invite you into that. You can actually do it any time on your own with the Lord. You can pray and do that. But if you aren't sure how, any one of us here at the church, sure, anybody in the church, but people on staff here would be so happy to do that with you after the service or any time. Come and talk to us. We'll lead you through. 
If you have already done that and you're a person who has put your faith in Jesus, God is reconciling you. He is still making things new, day by day, even you. No matter what age or how long you've been a follower of Jesus, He is renewing you. Allow that fullness of God to dwell in you, to draw near to Him. Even when we have been unfaithful, we can still choose to be faithful. That is the the message behind Hosea. Start now. Start today. God is slow to anger and rich in love. He is quick to forgive and show mercy. He's always wanting to bless us if we'll be willing to turn away from the sin that holds us back and turn to him. Even the Apostle Paul says this, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, he calls himself, this is the Apostle Paul in Scripture, the writer of many books of the New Testament, Jesus Christ might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. No one is too far gone to be redeemed and saved by Jesus. We have all sinned. There's a bit of unfaithfulness in each of us. But we can choose to walk in step with the Spirit of God. Recognize your areas of unfaithfulness. Confess them and turn to God. Draw near to Him. Read His Word. Follow His instructions. Love Him, for He has loved you first. He is faithful and He will draw near to you. I'm going to read chapter, some of chapter 14. It was the, the closing arguments, I guess you could say, to Israel at the time, and I think it's applicable to us as well. So I'm going to go here. So it's talking to Israel, but we know that Scripture also speaks to us. Return, Israel, to the Lord your God. Your sins have been your downfall. Take words with you and return to the Lord. Say to him, forgive all our sins and receive us graciously that we may offer the fruit of our lips. Then it starts talking about Assyria cannot save us. This is where the, the oppressive outside forces are trying to take over. There's a battle and waging. Who's going to take over this land? We will not mount war horses. We will never again say our gods to what our own hands have made. For in you, the fatherless find compassion. Then there's a whole bunch of specific things for Israel. Basically telling them life with God is wonderful. Why would you do anything other than have life with God? And I want to wrap up with the last verse, which is, after all the, the plea, verse 9 starts with, who is wise, halfway down. Let them realize these things. Who is discerning? Let them understand. The ways of the Lord are right. The righteous walk in them, but the rebellious stumble in them. So God is there with His mercy. God is there with His grace. Jesus has stepped in the gap. 
for us and bridge that gap to our Heavenly Father. At this time, I'm going to have a time where we just pause in prayer. I will pray a little bit, but I want to leave a little bit of time of silence for you to pray, either here in the room or at home as you're listening. Just a time of quietness with God. The Spirit of God is at work in you. Heavenly Father, we thank you for every word of Scripture that you've given us. As we approach this series of the Minor Prophets, possibly lesser known, maybe we don't quite remember or know what's in these books, we pray that you would help us to be excited about your word wherever we go in the Bible and to know how to use it, how to apply it. So we're talking about these books of the Bible relating to other parts of the Bible. Grow us in your knowledge of your word. And we thank you for your grace and your mercy, God. We thank you that you've given us so many chances, so many ways out of our situations. Help us to trust in you. We'll be quiet now and we'll just pray on our own for a moment, us and the Holy Spirit, God. Spirit of God, I pray that those, any conversations with you are still going on. They can continue on through this song and even to the end of our service, to our post-service prayer time. Spirit of God, you are at work in us. You are leading and directing our steps, our thoughts, our decisions. Each person that's being called to take any step forward, further in their faith with you, I just pray over that person right now. Thank you for speaking, God. Continue to speak. Open our hearts. Open that person's heart to, to take that next step, to take that, that step that, that you're calling them to take. Now, go with us as we respond in worship here now and walk into our lives with decisions that we have to make each day. Decisions to follow your word, not to go against you, God. Amen.